Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're going to talk about corn and pigs. And joining us is Dean Meyer. How are you doing today, Dean? Doing great. It's good to be here and uh, looking, looking forward to the conversation. So it was fun kind of talking about it beforehand and especially working with your team uh, prior to, to this because corn, Iowa's number one. Pork, Iowa's number one. We have quite the seat at the table when it comes to that. And I'm excited for you especially to be able to join the podcast to talk about that and and really break that down. Could you start just by introducing yourself, your background in agriculture and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, no, so, uh, like you said, I'm Dean Meyer, and uh, I'm a farmer from Northwest Iowa, Rock Rapids, Lyon County. Um, I uh, was raised on a farm, uh, had the opportunity uh, after school and in uh, some college to uh, come back to the farm. And, uh, you know, my father always says that the most efficient way to market corn here in Northwest Iowa and grow your operation is to walk it off the yard. And uh, so uh, we uh, we had a small cattle feedlot at the time and a uh, hog operation, farrow to finish. And uh, we just expanded on that. Um, as I came into the operation, we used that as the source to grow. Um, we uh, increased our sow numbers and uh, continued uh, with the technologies in the 80s and 90s that, that were just rampant at that time. Um, and uh, and uh, we also have corn soybeans, like we talked about. And um, I guess, you know, we I realized early on in my career that uh, we got to promote our own product. If we don't, somebody else will. And uh, that's not always, that, always accurate. Um, was involved in the local... Uh, um, Pork Producers Association and uh, the local uh, county corn board uh, was asked to serve on uh, the Iowa Corn Growers Association. And you know the logistics where we are in Iowa. We're as far away from Des Moines as you can get in Iowa. Going to say you're busy. <laughs> it, it's 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 really tough to get somebody to uh, to represent our commodities up here because just because the the logistics of it. But I knew we had to be represented, especially in the corn board. Um, you know, the beef and pork, you know, they speak themselves here. This is the densest part of the state for for, uh, for livestock. But uh, we need to be representing the corn board. I mean, most of corn goes through livestock in this country. And uh, it's important the livestock has representation. So that's what really drove me to serve on the Iowa Corn Board. I believe it was in uh, 2012. Uh, I was elected to serve in District 1. And uh, I've served in that capacity for the last 10 years. Uh, 
and uh, getting on and, and representing livestock on on uh, the Iowa Corn Board uh, really moved me. Iowa Corn is a is a large uh, contributor, and and they do a lot of put a lot of investment into meat exports. Obviously, for the reason of promoting livestock. Yeah, and, um, I think I, I attended the first U.S. Meat Export meeting uh, in uh, 2014. And uh, yeah, just amazed by the organization and how you can bring nine sectors of, of, of commodities and packers and purveyors, uh, farm organizations together, set at the same table to promote red meat internationally and how they can all work together. And just the, the dynamics of that organization just excited me. And uh, I was asked to serve at large by the current by the chair in 2015 on that organization. And uh, I, I accepted that opportunity and was then later voted to by the, all the corn states to serve on the executive board of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And um, from there, the executive board uh, elected me as an, an officer team. And yeah, today I have the opportunity to serve as chair of that organization. And uh, yeah, it, the compliment, how it complements corn, soybean, pork, I mean, you know, we're really one team. And when we when yeah. we go internationally, we all go together to promote the same product. And it, that is really important, you know, working to together the synergies between the different organizations. And um, I really feel that, that we can move mountains, you know, if we work together. Yeah, I mean, if one pillar falls, there's a profound impact on the other. So it's very uh, dependent on one another in some ways as uh as we look at how the state works together in agriculture, but to kind of start and kick this thing off, could you talk about the, what the United States Meat Export Federation is? Yeah, um, United Meat, Meat U.S. Meat Export Federation is is a joint effort between nine different sectors, and uh, the sectors include all the commodities that are involved in in red meat, which would be um, pork, and pork, beef, corn, soybean. And then lamb, and of course uh, packers, purveyors, and um, and then uh, we have the farm trade organizations. And uh, I, uh, what what the organization does is, is they help uh, to facilitate tra- facilitate trade in international markets. Um, we uh, bring these organizations all together form trade teams that promote this product. I mean, basically what it does is puts red meat on the world's table. And uh, we, uh, we really um, excel in um, working in country. U.S. Meat Export Federation has 18 offices around the world. And um, these, most of these offices have native um, staff. And, um, and these staff are those that have worked in the meat industry for multiple years and have have the experience and um the expertise it just it just seems like it's amazing how the u.s meat export federation is able to source the uh, perfect individuals in these countries to uh to fit to fit the fit the role i mean when you when you go to japan and you 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 meet with the japanese staff they bring in the traders you know they're, they're they have personal relationships or you go to Columbia and you meet with the meet with the USMEF staff. They have personal relationships, 
And they're the ones that bring, you know, the, the traders in this country or, or the or the factors in this country and, and bring them together. And then when you interject the commodity groups in with this, um, the, uh, you know, the, and specifically those that produce the product, you know, that adds a whole other dynamic to it. I mean, those uh, those consumers and those big traders in those countries do not just want to listen to uh, the packers trying to sell them meat. They want to know where this product comes from, how it's raised, you know, who raises it, you know, the sustainability of it, how we care for what we raise, and, uh, you know, the, the animal welfare. That's why we're so successful. It, it, it just puts the whole package together. That's awesome. What what do they do specifically to promote the pork industry? It sounds like they they spend a lot of time focusing on welfare and sustainability. Oh, U- U.S. Meat Export Federation. It, it's all of the above. It just isn't just welfare and sustainability. It's you know different countries have different dynamics as far as trade barriers. Um, for, first of all, the success of uh, the U.S. Meat Export Federation depends on. Uh, um, not only buyers and sellers, but we got to have the government involved. I mean, it's it's funded by checkoff dollars, but not only that, uh, USDA MAP and FMD funding are a key element in funding this organization. But in order to get into a country, um, first of all, we got to have trade access. We got to have free trade access. And uh, I always say the recipe for success of the U.S. Meat Export Federation is is, is Trade access, um, demographics. I mean, you, we need a population there that uh, usually a large population, and then a growing middle class. I mean, if, if we get a country that's that's got a growing middle class that has a large population, and we have free trade access, you know, it's a slam dunk for selling U.S. meat because uh, when we get an organization like this where we can all work together, all the sectors, whether it's the feed input or it's the pork and beef products himself, um, you know, we, we, we've got the best product in the world. You know, it's the safest, most reliable, sustainable product in the world. Um, we got a, we got a bounty of it. We produce more than we can consume here. But yet we, we still have, we don't take away from the domestic market. Mm-hmm. Where, where the Meat Export Federation really shines is those underutilized cuts for these variety meats, those that we aren't desirable here, or we just have a hard time marketing here. The U.S. Meat Export Federation does a, a superb job of finding the, the the market that has the most value for the cuts. And, um, you know, those things like tongue and livers and tripe, those things that, you know, are awful or have very low value here, have a lot of value in some of these markets. Japan, for example, we can't get enough tongues, tongues yeah. there. You know, it's there's $3 a pound here. And I was in Japan in September and I went to the retail store on the, on the grocery shelf, $25 a pound. You know, Holy cow. So you, and we send over 20 million tons there a year. So it's, it's, it's just amazing. And that's beef tons there, but, but pork is the same way. You know, we, we, we get, we got the, the underutilized cuts there, you know, and, and some of them don't even sound good to eat, but um, they're really, they're really in high demand in some of those countries. And, and uh, I think and they cook them well there. Like if you go there and you try them, they actually do cook them pretty good. It sounds it's a good I, cut. I, I fully understand after visiting those countries why they want them. They do a really good job of uh, of uh, preparing them, 
And uh, yeah, it's I I actually enjoy eating them over there a lot more than I do here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's neat too because if we didn't have those buyers internationally for those cuts that we wouldn't really consume here, that that would have an, a huge impact on sustainability. Being able to market the whole hog means we are making the most of every input that is going into that hog from a sustainability standpoint. So that that uh, the ability to be sustainable as an industry, it doesn't just depend on the producer or the genetics company or the packer. It's international trade as well. Absolutely not. And that's important to them too, especially in these well-developed countries, you know, like Japan and Korea, um, you know, those countries that have been uh, our long-term partners. And, uh, and, and, and then it isn't just sustainability. Then it comes back to profitability. I mean, those, yep. those, those variety, well, basically, the, 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 the whole carcass of a hog, um, if we didn't have exports, we would be getting $62 less per head just on, just on the exports on pork. And so, so rough. And, and, then, and then just the variety of meats alone, if we would take those, those, those products that are variety of meats, those, those livers, those tripe, those things that we really don't desire here and they go into offal or, or pet food, um, it, instead we can market those and those add $10 a head per pig. So every pig that markets, so just those extra variety of meats is $10 per head. So it's significant. It is. It is. It is. So how does corn production and pork production impact one another? There's a lot of reasons how corn and pork <laughs> impact each other. It's, it's uh, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, I like to eat red meat. And, and uh, you know, there, there's nothing better than a corn-fed product. You know, if you're a corn-fed, high-quality corn-fed product. And and that is significant. You know, I mean, we, we advertise in a lot of these countries um, corn fed, you know, you can have grain fed, but there's other grains besides corn. Corn specifically is unique and, and it does add that extra flavor and it, and it does make a difference in appearance. And, um, it's and so then, true. Cause like I have, I have friends that are more in the coastal areas and everyone's like, Oh, is this grass fed? And I'm like, man, I don't know if it's because I grew up on corn fed or what, but like I try a grass fed steak and, uh, there's a lot of, desire still left out on the table so it does taste a lot better when it's corn fed absolutely and 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 it's more sustainable you know it takes less volume less area you know a grass-fed whether it's pork or beef you know um it takes more area to feed you know it takes more grass and more 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 acres whereas corn you know we can we can raise 240 bushel corn and and it's it's a lot more efficient to me, it's a lot more sustainable. And then what it returns back to, uh, you know, red meat exports return 12% back to the corn farmer, 12% of their price. In 2021, that was 66 cents a bushel. So, you know, you wonder how, you know, corn and, and pork work together. Um, red meat exports add to the bottom line of corn producers uh, to the tune of 12%. And that was back when corn was 550. You know, now when we have, you know, Seven dollar corn, twelve percent of that is is um, you know significantly more, and so uh, um, corn and pork do work together. They need to work together, and that's the success of them is how they work together. Gotcha. What uh, when you think about some of the areas of opportunity to even work together further? Does anything come to mind? 
Well, I I think I think the success is when when they can go on on the same teams and market together. And we've okay. been doing that, and we're going to do that even more. And not only traveling, but uh, the new venue we started since the COVID pandemic is uh, producing these videos. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, corn farmers, soybean farmers, pork producers, and beef producers. And um, we'll, we'll do these short clip videos, go out to their farms, and uh, what we're calling it is, uh, you know, journey to American pork or journey to American beef. And the, these uh, consumers in these international countries can come to our farms without coming to our farms. Yeah. And, and the video is, is is a full video on how they're raised and how they're how how they're fed a quality product, how they're sustainably raised and animal welfare. And uh, they've been extremely successful. And I know I was involved in one last year. And it taken just a matter of a few weeks in one country in Japan alone, it, it had eight million hits on it. You know, it just oh, wow. it's just, just amazing. And and these consumers in these Southeast Asia countries where half the population of the world is, they want to know where it comes from. And they want to know, you know, and and I and I think if we can continue on that trend, um, I think it's important to uh go down uh, go, you know, go to these countries and be in these countries, especially since we're on the backside of the pandemic. But it's still with the technology we have today, we can reach a lot more households. Just bringing the film crews to our farms and doing the interviews there. Um, there's there, there's situations where right in the meat case, right beside the uh, the pork loin or the ham or whatever it is, there's a video playing of of where the product comes from, and I think. Yeah, that we need to continue on in the future, and that would be pretty great. And you guys do a really good job of your marketing too. It feels like any any major event happening in the state, you're there, and so it's uh it's always neat seeing that. I don't remember if it was Iowa corn or Iowa soybean though, but for the Field of Dreams game, uh, uh one of you guys was there right behind home plate, and I'm like, ah, that that's the way to do it. That was yeah. good. Yeah, it was um, it, it was the chair. Iowa had the uh, National Corn Growers Association chair position at that time. The president and Chris Edgington and and yeah, he was right there. And uh, no, it, it was a great promotion. You know, when you can have a ball game with a cornfield and the home runs. Oh, absolutely! It's, yeah. Where people all over the country are like, "Wow, how beautiful!" And you're just like, "Yeah, got it, nailed it." So when we look at exports. Um, how important is it or why is it important to have a seat at the table when you are the number one core growing state and you are the number one pork producing state? You know, it's, it's really been an honor. I'll start out this year being, being selected as chair from the, uh, for the U S meat export federation. And uh, first time uh, Iowa corn individual has served in that capacity. But, uh, but I think, it 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 is uh, reflects on the support that Iowa Corn has given for U.S. Meat Export for Federation for the last you know twenty years, and um, you know it when ninety six percent of the population is outside this country and ninety nine percent of the growing middle class in the next ten years is going to be outside the borders of this country. We know where our consumers are going to be at. We know um, I mean corn. 
you know, corn in all forms, Iowa corn supports, you know, whether whether it's ethanol, you know, the ethanol byproducts and in the livestock and anything else we can make out of corn. And we've got to be behind that. Livestock's obviously still the number one, and I think it will continue to be. Uh, we got a we got a population outside this country, like I talked about, that has uh, a demand for protein. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. And, and I think what goes right along with that is all the all the checkoff organizations, whether it's corn, whether it's soybean, whether it's pork and beef, um, they also have a. a a government uh, policy side, and uh, we need those organizations to further our agenda as far as you know. Uh, we need to lobby for MAP and FMD funding to fund our organization. We we need to uh, lobby for trade and trade organizations. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for these commodity organizations pushing for, uh, well, we just we just got our. Uh, Chief Ag Negotiator uh, confirmed, and uh, the Undersecretary of, of Trade in Ag just got them confirmed. But if it wasn't for these commodity organizations pushing to get that done, you know, yep. we can't form trade agreements if we don't have something negotiating for trade. And so, you ask me why is it important to work with the USMEF uses the commodity organizations. They advise them. They help us direct. USMEF helps the organizations. And um, where we need to go for trade, and what what policies we need to push, and then utilize those organizations as the uh, so-called front lines, you know. And and then USMEF comes behind with the product. Uh, we need front lines out there because um, we aren't U.S. Meat Export Federation isn't committed to just a few countries. I mean, we're broad based. We're always new horizons. There's 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 always new opportunity. It's it's a growing world, a growing middle class, and uh, once once we get our product, whether it's pork or beef, into the hands of the consumers, you know, that's the key. And to do that, you need people in country, and uh, you need people that that are promoting it. And part of that is us, you know, whether it's yep. a corn producer and a pork producer. So one thing I like to do to kind of wrap up, I'll have a couple of questions, but I think as an industry, the more authentic we can be with the consumer, the more they're going to trust and uh, enjoy the product that we have to offer. But part of authenticity is talking about ourselves and not a lot of people like talking about themselves. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about yourself. Uh, first one is when, when you look back at your childhood in agriculture, what is something that you miss? What do you miss about ag and and being a kid on the farm well when, when i look when i look back when i was a child uh yeah that's a really tough question but uh you know <laughs> to, to me you know it, it seemed like back then it was much more of a simple life you know it it just uh i went out and i i, I did what i was told i was very you know inquisitive i i did a lot of exploration and and uh it I'm talking on the farm, you know, as far as, you know, we, we had cattle, we had hogs, we had, we had crops. And, uh, and I think, um, I think what I, you know, I, I just did what I wanted to do. I, I, I had my daily chores. I grew up always doing, as soon as I could do chores, I was out, you know, doing, but, but yet, yet you know, it, you had so much free time. It felt like to just to do fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, 
it was uh, it was just the chores where or now you know the chores are just this part of it but you know we we've got i mean you, you know where the industry has gone and there's yeah. there's so much more strategies and and but yet it's great i i always thrived on technology you know when when technology came out for a crop operation you know i was one of the early adapters on that putting yield monitors in the combines but auto steering i mean i i've always been amazed by technology and same thing with the hog barns you know and and uh our cattle operation you know it's you know you got tracking programs and um you know that that always did amaze me and it does make life easier for making decisions because you know we've got daily decisions that got to be made and if we can have that data at our fingertips all the time it, it we're just that much further ahead so you know that was a long answer to a to a short question but um you know, I always started being pretty inquisitive and exploratory, and I think that's carried on. And then I learned through time that, you know, like I said before, we've got to promote our own product. You know, if, you know, if the old saying, if we're not at the table, we're going to be on the menu. And and we certainly don't want that to happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, and so you talked about some innovations there. My next thing I want to ask was of everything that has happened between growing up on the farm and your your really important role today. What surprised you the most? What amazes you the most? You know, just thinking about it, and the, and the quick answer here is is how how approachable everybody is in the world, really. I mean, yeah. we, we we sit back on the farm, and you know, we we can whether we go and testify at the Senate Ag Committee. Or uh, or we meet with the embassy in in, in um, Singapore or Malaysia or, or wherever we go. Everybody wants to hear our story, and we get the attention of that. That's probably what amazed me the most. Is here I am, a farmer from Northwest Iowa, and and uh, you know the the individuals in in the embassy in in Japan, or um, you know we we we've had um, you know us, those that are under the prime ministers. Had meetings with them, and they they'll sit down at dinner night, and they want to know our story, you know, our and uh, they want to know more about what we do. And uh, I think we take food for granted here in this country. We really do. And in in those countries, they want to be assured that that we're we stay occupied, that we stay in business. Uh, when we when we talk about pork over there, they also want to know what our corn crop is like because they know that without a corn crop, we can't raise pork and and but 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 in all encompassing answer is how how we as farmers are really uh, recognized by no matter who you are around the world uh, what their position is um, everybody's approachable and um, and you can't shouldn't be afraid to sit at a seat at the table with with anybody that is one thing about it everybody has to eat and um, and uh, food security is important in a lot of countries. Yeah, I mean, that's something that amazed me, too, traveling internationally. You're sitting at a table, you're talking about what you're doing. And what amazed me was how much everybody else cares. Um, even even if you're in New York and California, they care. Like, they genuinely mm-hmm. care. And uh, they, I think another thing was, whether it's yourself, myself, or anyone else, like, if you grew up in ag, you're automatically the expert at the table internationally with people who aren't in agriculture. 
And so like you, you have a lot more credibility than I think a lot of farmers give themselves credit for because they can sit down and they can really educate the public in a big way. And and to them, it's just going to feel like they're talking about their normal day. So it's amazing how much people really care. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that's why it's so important that, you know, we have people that are willing to commit time to these volunteer organizations and, and spend the time to take that week or 10 day trip in international markets. Uh, first of all, it, it just helps us see the 40,000 foot view and uh, and then, like you said, you know, people do care. They do. Yep. Yeah, and we have a great product. But these these countries work with us because they like the people that they're working with. The people traveling overseas to sit down and talk with them. At the end of the day, that's who they're making the deals with. And so, any any producer, any farmer out there who can take the time to get involved and help, it, it'll have a profound impact not only over the next year but over the next generation. So it's. It's great to have you join us. The last question I want to ask is, what's a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you would like to share with listeners? Um, probably the best wisdom, again, that you can give that, that reflects on, on everything we do is, is um, working together. Working, working together can, can move mountains. It really can. We... we uh, Iowa corn can't do it alone. Iowa pork producers and national, we, we've got to always be a team. And I think it's really important. I know I mentioned that in my acceptance speech with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I want to strengthen that bond between everybody even more. I mean, there's, yeah, we've got differences. we got these little differences. But, but let's build on our strengths and those synergies that we have where we can work together and um there's really nothing we can't accomplish as far as promoting our product. And I think, I think, I think we need to uh, work together and build on the momentum that we're on. And, and uh, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm really optimistic for the next couple of years with, uh, with red meats, pork and beef both. And uh, I think we have huge opportunities. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.